Hello and welcome to ABW in conversation with my name is Chris. I am your host. Of course, I'm your host because this is my series. Who else would host it? I mean, come on. You can't expect Danny to be up in hmm, 2 p.m. in an afternoon, can you? God knows. <laughs> he might actually be up. He might be out and about. But anyway, enough of him. Uh, I'm going to introduce my guest because obviously these are, if you have just stumbled across these new found newfound series that we've come up with, it's basically a one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one chat. Uh, myself joined by one guest. And today my guest is Tom Canton of The Good Talk. Tom, how you doing? Yeah, good. Good to be back. Nostalgic. Uh, it is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Is. Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. It's uh, We're recording this on July the 18th in the UK. I don't know about where you are, Tom, but it's currently at 26 degrees mm -hmm. in Plymouth in the UK. 26 here as well. Oh, it's kind of gross, isn't it? Oh, don't get it wrong. Is. I love the sunshine, but you know when you like sit down just for a minute and then you get up off these chairs and it's just, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, not pleasant. Horrible. But Hey ho, we won't wish the sun away. Um, right then, mate. So we're we're just gonna kind of do uh, those people who haven't seen the first first episode really just to explain these series. Like I said, it's a one on one chat. It's very off piece. There's no rules. There's no scripts. Uh, it's just me and Tom having a little conversation. So we are, of course, going to focus pretty much a lot of our conversation around football and, and specifically Arsenal. But before we get to that, Tom, um, why don't you just tell our listeners, I'm sure most people know who you are, but tell our listeners a bit about um, how your show came to be and, and how you've managed to develop it over the years. Well, I mean, the first place to start is obviously with you guys, because I mean, kind of without ABW, I wouldn't really be anything. I'd probably still be teaching, probably still be getting annoyed every day at a kid pissing me off. So I'd probably be where my life is. <laughs> Um, but obviously I did start out, it was actually Jason, uh, it was initially uh, kind of sorted out an invite onto the onto ABW and I started with there and a couple of radio shows that we did and then eventually I think I started hosting the radio shows for a bit um, and uh, and then moved on uh, and I joined up with Craig at the Guna Talk, obviously started the Guna Talk from nothing um, and uh, it was myself uh, a guy called Wayne and Memz, who I know a lot of people will know, uh, were kind of the, some of the first guests. And then there was a lot of other guests that people be very, very familiar of from other channels. Um, and then it changed. Craig had to go on to do other things because his life was very busy at the time. And he turned around to me and basically said, look, I don't really want the channel to die. So do, do you want to kind of take it over? And at that point, it was on about seven-ish thousand subscribers, I think, at that time. And that was in 2016, after about a year. So Craig had done an amazing job of growing it up to, to six uh, seven thousand subscribers within just over a year i think it was uh, and then obviously taking over is really tough um because obviously it's 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 like you think about the top gear changeover i don't know it's like a much smaller scale but to, to keep people interested when you're not craig and you're not what and i have very different ideas to craig about kind of how i host a show and how i would go down doing videos and making videos and so it was really hard in the first place and barely anyone was kind of tuning in because i mean it was obviously disappointed that craig had gone and quite rightly too uh and eventually i think gradually just by implementing my own thing by doing more analytical stuff more grounded stuff more it wasn't necessarily kind of uh reactionary it was more kind of measured i suppose um and gradually built up my own kind of situation and then people started to get on boards it was still quite slow uh and then 
it got to 2019, the summer of 2019. And even then, after like three years, it barely had grown at all. And we were under, still under 10,000 subscribers at that time, I think. And I started to do um, these tactical breakdown videos on like transfer targets and get experts on the, to break down Arsenal's chart targets. And it blew up and people loved them. And suddenly we hit 15,000 subscribers. And then in 2020, we hit 20,000 subscribers. And now 2021, we've hit 25,000 subscribers. And people have just enjoyed the content and I've quit teaching since that as well and now full-time football writing over at 101 Great Goals and, and so yeah just trying to see where this kind of goes now so that's the short version of or shortish version of the story <laughs> I suppose good stuff good stuff and talk to me a bit about like, what went what went through your mind in terms of when you decided to give up teaching because you know I think mm. I think a lot of people particularly during lockdown a lot of people were talking about this with Danny in the last pod a lot of people have, have kind of taken that that gamble. Oh, I can make a podcast. Oh, I can make a TikTok. Oh, I can make a video. And very few actually get success because it's a lot harder than you think. You know, people, I think, just assume we just turn up, press record, and that's it. I mean, on this one, we actually have done that. But typically, you know, you've got graphics, you've got uploads, you've got just the silly things like getting people to time schedules if they're in different countries or have yeah. different roles. Um, what kind of made you come home from, from the office or from the school one day and go, do you know what? I'm going to I'm going to pursue what I love to talk about and that and just talk us through like how that came about and what went through your mind when you were going through the transition. It's it's obviously kind of football and teaching has been alongside each other a lot. Obviously I started on ABW when I was at university in Nottingham and then finishing in Nottingham went into primary teaching and hated it so quickly got an opportunity to do secondary teaching at a girls school. Um, which was great and loved it in the first kind of training and a couple of months but eventually teaching just takes over your life and it's it's really hard and it was there is part of me that definitely left because it was a situation where I didn't feel comfortable where I was and I've always been very public about not liking the school where I was at and, and the expectation I know obviously a lot of people still there the turnaround at that school is crazy like people leave every single year because it is the expectations on the teachers there are ridiculous and when it comes down to me, I was quite lucky because I had the channel alongside it. So I would go home and do a video or go home and do a podcast on the weekends and, and stuff like that. So, But whilst that was all going on, I was still writing. So I was doing stuff for Ronnie Dog Media and Total Football Analysis for a bit. I started working on kind of Get Spanish Football News for a bit. Uh, and some other things as well. I'd also did some stuff with TalkSport with Hugh Izzy because um, he knew my liking of Spanish football and got me on for their road to the 2018 World Cup at the time. So that helped. And then this all that time, I've always been kind of just applying for different places and seeing if anything would ever come up with no experience, no degree in journalism, nothing like that. And it's always going to be luck at the end of the day or someone that you know is going to get you there. And it was luck in the end that 101 Great Goals and, and Benji, who, who runs the place over there, who dropped, dropped me an email back saying, look, we would like what you're about and uh, we'd love to just give, have a chat. And, and they offered me the role. And whilst I'm very critical of the school that I was at, um, one of the big things I, I give them props for is the fact that they did let me leave basically during a half term, which is unusual for a teacher um, because usually you have to do like two term periods. So like September to Christmas, Christmas to Easter, Easter to summer. Because I was so intent on saying, look, I, I don't really want to be here anymore. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I've got this opportunity to go into football journalism, uh, which is my dream. Um, 
please like if there's any way that you can sort it out i'll do extra whatever this i'll help out with this i'll do part-time if it needs to be i'll do anything that's that's the whatever just as long as i can take this role and they eventually they just let me cut ties in in the october half term and went straight into football writing all the while still doing the channel so yeah that's that's how that worked out fantastic and um to sort of um, almost pre-plug a future guest that, that i've got coming on with this series uh in simon who you probably know simon collings yeah. he's taken a sort of a similar route and, and obviously is uh, uh what we call the legend that is in journalism now um but yeah. what do you what what's your kind of end goal like is there is there something you really crave doing like do you want to get into sort of tv presenting mm. do you want to be at live games doing match reports or are you kind of happy to have your own channel because self-employment is it's a it's, it's a tough life isn't it like every yeah. basically if you don't do it you don't get paid but mm -hmm. it does come with its own pressures would you quite like the idea of actually having somebody who pays your paycheck and you just turn up and do the things you're good at or do you actually quite like managing yourself I, there are elements of, of having you control, I suppose, and when you can take breaks and, and stuff like that. But obviously going from a very stable contracted situation in teaching to freelance is, is a big, big kind of jump and, and certainly jumping off a cliff in, in a career sense. Uh, and you're hoping that you kind of hit water and not rocks, I suppose. And and at the moment, it feels like halfway in between because whilst you're freelance, you're still very much kind of always falling and you haven't hit the ground as of yet. And you're always going to be in a sense of flux and a sense of instability. So the end goal is would always hopefully one day maybe to be contracted somewhere and, and get a full time role somewhere. And and it, whether it's in writing or presenting is, is obviously still very much not I'm not specialized because I do both um, full time uh and whilst i think i would probably lean more towards the, the presenting because i love talking about arsenal i love talking about sport and football and, and european football or whatever it is it's, it is mainly talking and whilst i can write and and do that for my day job it's it is still probably talking that i would more lean towards um and hope that one day that that is it um if they accept this ugly mug on some channel then great so uh yeah yeah i think you got more chance than uh, somebody looks like me uh, <laughs> In terms of your um, your kind of uh, sort of football, we'll, we'll come on to Arsenal in, in a bit. But um, when we first met and and we had sort of chats, we we were doing like the the football hipsters at the time, sort of in its initial uh, concept, if you will. And your big love then was as well as Arsenal was Spanish football, and you mentioned that there with with like it sort of links into getting into the role you're in now. Yeah. Is it still something that's close to your heart? And do you still do you still do the what we used to do in, in the old days, which look at a young player nobody ever heard of and just try track their progress and have a look through and, and is there still time for the Austrian league to do that as well like you used to yeah I, I ironically more more of the Austrian stuff like I do follow Red Bull Salzburg quite a lot and for anyone that watched any of the shows of the last year the obsession with Dominic Zoboslai was, was very real uh, for quite a long time um, Spanish wise it has certainly lessened a lot since doing uh, the football hipsters stuff not because I don't enjoy it less or because the league has gone downhill and it certainly has gone downhill la league i mean i used to fight vehemently to argue that it was the best <laughs> league and it certainly isn't that anymore um and that isn't just because the likes of ronaldo's moved on and messi's got older but that the recruitment that the way that the likes of barca and real madrid have been handled has been horrific and that has led to a huge decline in the competitiveness of the league so it's not been because of the decline of that. It's just more because when you write about football kind of 24-7 and you do a channel on the side of it as well, you do want to detach in a way. And and sometimes I go out and if, say, like, 
Yeah, do you ever find yourself kind of in social situations where people only really know you for one of your interests? Because uh, they're <laughs> yeah. kind of acquaintances and they know you're into football. So, oh, I'll, I'll talk to them about football. And at yeah. times it can become very, oh, God, I've been the whole day I've been focused on football. And the last thing I kind of want to think about right now is having a chat about some Spanish second division kid. But uh, it's... It is very. It's, it's difficult to sometimes find a work-life balance around when you work in in football uh, and, and wanting to obviously because you're so passionate about it. But it is so important to take breaks. So I have kind of lessened my involvement with looking at Spanish football, and I certainly keep up with it and have to for my writing. But it's nowhere near as as you said before, looking for kind of the next bit next Marco Asensio or someone like that to to come through. But I'm still keeping tabs and speak to a lot of people that obviously do do that every single day. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you you look back actually. I, I was looking through the archives the other day of like some of our old stuff when we put, used to put together the teams and, and the sort of hipster of the week players we used to look out for. And we got quite a few, to be fair. Yeah. If you look back, there was quite a few we called would be superstars and a couple that we said from very young ages who've gone on to be like exemplary uh, yeah. talents. So um, yeah, I think we all we all deserve a pat on the back for that one. Um, talk to me about a bit about social media as well in terms of like doing the, the role on the channel because I'm always intrigued by, by this in terms of when you've got a personality I, I often think people people don't necessarily realize that when you when you put yourself out there and you put yourself online you are doing exactly that you're going out to millions of people all around the world different age groups different backgrounds um, different fan bases even I know a lot of people who watch you know Arsenal related content and then nothing to do with Arsenal just because they like to get a different perspective and you know there's all sorts of different people yeah. that look into it how do you how do you deal with both the positive and and more specifically like the negative and I don't mean negative about the show I just mean negative mm. if somebody has a different opinion to yours it, it is tough isn't it when someone is let's be honest fishing to get a reaction because yeah. you know that they, they probably they wouldn't watch your channel if they didn't want you at your views no, but then they just no, go after it. it it's really it's without football football is all about opinions at the end of the day and the thing about football twitter and football kind of culture is it is very toxic um <laughs> and the most successful kind of well i won't say all of the most successful but a majority of, of the most successful kind of either characters or pundits in the game are so because they're divisive and because they say things that are very that are going to garner attention and are going to get people to react to it and like you've got people like adrian durham at talksport who I, I really disagree with a lot of what he says and there's part of me that feels like quite a large proportion maybe he is, doesn't fully buy into but knows that it's going to get a reaction um and i know that there's characters that do that on youtube channels or do that on other medias I've really tried to not do that um, as much as possible, which has meant that growth has obviously been slower. Like I could easily go on and do a video after Arsenal didn't get Dominic Zoboslai, for instance, and react what people might want me to react and go off the rails about it. And there's a few times where I have kind of lost it at times on, on videos, not to the point where it's career ending, um, but... Like when we didn't get Emi Buendia, I did a show pretty much, I think the hour after it was announced and he got more views than a lot of any of the videos I've been doing. I think he got up to something like 23,000 or something like that because I was very angry about us not getting him in that moment. I mean, there's a reason why I called the show the Raw Reaction Show for a reason. Um, and it was like that. But with social media, I think I've more found it's, it's important to build a community where you are able to change your mind because that's one of the things that social media doesn't really enable you to do. 
it's because you have everything is documented and it's there for years and years and years. Things that you said five years ago are just so different to how you think about things in the present day. Things you said six months ago, six weeks ago are different to how you might feel now once you're presented with new information. And especially in the day and age that we're living in with kind of racism as big as it is and, and things coming about, things that now people find offensive and stuff like that. And whilst no matter how we might feel about those things, when people are offended, especially to the volume that people can be, it is still important to take those things into account and to kind of change the way you approach certain situations. And I've certainly had to learn a lot in the last five years. I mean, you know more than anyone that I can be a bit of a sensitive soul at times. <laughs> and I've certainly had to change the way I am about that. And to grow, to learn, to agree, to disagree is something I say a lot on social media. As Drew likes to turn around and say to me, I say it a lot because either it means, look, yeah, fair, I respect your opinion now and we just move on. Or as he says, it, it's just basically saying you're, you think that you're wrong and uh, you're just tired and don't really want to continue the conversation. Sometimes <laughs> it is that, but that's better than falling out with someone over an opinion that you don't agree with. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's still really hard to not get annoyed. I mean, you for, for someone of yourself who obviously knows a lot about French football, when someone's telling you something about a player that you categorically know is not the case because yeah. you've watched it and you know for a fact that they most likely... I've only seen a few highlights on YouTube. It's it's really frustrating. It's really mm. grating. So yes. yeah, that, that's the hardest part I find. Yeah, the ones the ones that get me the most are the ones that tweet you and ask you for your opinion on the player. <laughs> you give them that opinion, and they go, "Well, that's rubbish." Well, I, why did you ask me? I, I don't. What I mean, did we gain from this? <laughs> I had it yesterday when I did a show with Andy Naylor um, from the Athletic on Ben White and asking because the reason why I got him on was to kind of ask the question: Is he worth fifty million pounds? And the last question I kind of asked him was, if you were in a room with a sceptic about Ben White, what would you kind of say to convince? Because he's utterly convinced he's worth every penny that the Arsenal are paying for him. And even after he'd gone through all of these different points, even in the chat, you're going, nope, still not convinced. Like, There's nothing more I can do. There's no. nothing more we can say that's going to convince you. So, yeah. No, people, people make their mind up and, and that's it. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a bit about Arsenal then, uh, because mm. obviously we are in pre-season at time of recording. We've played two, I mean, technically three games, I suppose, if you include Accrington. It's, um, it, I mean, it's not been stellar, and, and I've I've had my fishing rod out a little bit on Twitter, because, you know, why not? It's a little <laughs> bit fun, and uh, yeah. I think a lot of people think I'm serious when I sort of have a little bit of a giggle, but... Um, I'm not really concerned in terms of the the performances. I'm not, and I'm definitely not concerned of the results. The one thing I, I probably would say I'm a little bit concerned is maybe a wrong word. Apprehensive, maybe is, is the word I'm going to go. I suppose they're similar, one in the same. The the squad that we sort of take into Scotland and and just certain players that have crept out of the woodwork, and, and you just mm. look at it and you go. Oh, okay. They're still there, are they? And then, and then there's other players. Um, we don't really need to name names because I think we know who they are. There's also players that that we know, and pretty much the whole footballing world knows we're trying to get rid of, and yet they're starting games for us in pre-season. I get the shop window thing. I get the fact that a lot of players are not back from the Euros yet. I get all that. But where do you sort of sit on on certain players getting game time and? maybe not looking the best because that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? They can perform in preseason or they can look, you know, not great and, and their, their value maybe decreases or the interest decreases. What's been your thoughts on those two games in Scotland in particular? I do think there is an element of people reading far too much into what is a fitness exercise, I think. And that is the primary goal of these first couple of games is to get the guys back to match fitness. However, you raise a really good point that, 
yes, it's a fitness exercise, but there's a lot of players that are getting minutes that I really didn't really expect to be at Arsenal at this point in the window. It was always going to be a difficult summer window to move players on still for two reasons. One, the obvious one being the pandemic affecting teams in the continent because, let's face it, Premier League clubs aren't really going to be interested in the players that we've got because they're not really good enough for the Premier League. Um, and the other one is the fact that they're not very good, uh, <laughs> quite bluntly. Um, players like Kalasnach, who I don't feel is good enough. Pl- players, honestly, I know a lot of people really like some of our youngsters, but I don't feel like Eddie Nketiah has, has got a future at Arsenal. I don't feel like Reese Nelson has a future at Arsenal. Um, for a while, before his Newcastle loan, I didn't feel like Joe Willock was, was going to have a future at Arsenal. He did prove me wrong for a six-month period, which isn't enough to have a full analysis on a player as of yet. Um, but was showing some really good signs to make me think, hmm, like maybe we should give him a little bit of time and, and give him some opportunities. Um, but yeah, there is a lot. Willian, of course, is a big one. Um, the images of him looking overweight weren't great. <laughs> However, I have suspicions that maybe there was something underneath the shirt, but this is like a conspiracy theory growing at this point. Um, but it's a strange one. But I, I genuinely put it down to the fact that there's a, a hell of a lot to do this window. A lot of it relies on us kind of moving some players on. And when you make 55 people redundant in the squads, that is going to slow down the process at which some people work and are able to do things. And Edu is only one man. And you see like him when he's on holiday, which he's entitled to, like anyone. And you see the reaction to someone having a day away from working, which, by the way, they have these things called mobile phones that they can still <laughs> work. And so much transfer business happens through WhatsApp. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, there's all that work still going on. It's... I think that the trip was a, a, a great thing to see Arsenal back in Arsenal colours and getting them playing. But I agree with you that there was certainly a lot of concern around how many players that we probably would rather have moved on by now were still playing for Arsenal at this stage. Yeah, yeah, agreed. We've got a window until till August the 31st. So, I mean, yeah, it is still a month and a, and a bit away. But again, like you make a good point there, there hasn't been a lot of in and out at this stage. I mean, we have... I think the ones we probably expected to be gone um, have been in terms of that we knew there'd be a clear out of, the, of a lot of the youth players and they've moved on. We knew that, that Granduzzi would be moved on. That's happened. But there's some players, like you, you mentioned, pretty much all of them there that have played. There's also a couple of players that I think people have even forgotten their arsenals. Lucas Torreira is one that, that immediately springs to mind. And I know he's been linked with, with Italy and, and whatnot. But is your kind of concern that maybe we're running out of time to sell players in order to get players in. I mean, it, it sounds like, well, Lukonga has been pictured with the shirts. I mean, that's that's done. But we, we know that Ben White is is pretty much done, and but, you know, we're just waiting for him to get back on his holidays. So, I mean, that's that's going to happen. But that doesn't address the, the gaping hole in our midfield. That doesn't address the seeming need for a right-back if Hector Bellerin moves on as expected. And arguably even an attacking sort of wide player slash forward, depending on how the setup's going to be, what formation, etc., is that a little bit of a worry that other clubs are kind of sitting there thinking, well, we know Arsenal need to shift these players. We're not going to pay over, over the odds. Why not wait till the end of the window? Because I'm not sure about you, but I don't really fancy a, an Arteta, Mertesacker type um, panic, oh, you know, that, yeah, that, that summer yeah. where we just sort of trolley dashed. You know, I don't really fancy that because this above many other seasons, we, we need to start quickly, don't we? With no mm. Europe, you know, the, the manager's under pressure and we need to start getting ourselves in and around that top six this season, I think. We need to be in and around the top six by the time the Champions League kind of kicks in and the Europa League kicks in, because if we're not, we haven't taken advantage. We're not going to be able to take advantage of those extra kind of recovery days available to us because the gap will already be too big. Um, 
yeah, we, there is a lot of time left at the end of the window, but there's not a lot of time left until the start of the season. There's less than a month left. And we have looked, I mean, the Ben White situation has, has gone on quite a long time. Yes, the Euros were part of the reason for that. But even the Lokonga situation has taken a long time. And that you'd feel like was one of the more relatively simpler deals for us to get done. But then there's been encouraging signs like the, the Tavaj situation where he seems to have come in very quickly. Um, uh, but then when he told us about things that happened behind the scenes, it was more so that it only got reported in the kind of the last week and actually it had been a protracted period for quite some time. So th- there is that. I do worry that Arsenal had a lot of hope on Martin Erdegaard in that kind of attacking midfield position, and that still may come up as a possibility based on kind of the, the situation with Real Madrid. I'd be, still be surprised if, if we did end up getting him. Uh, I also think they put a lot of kind of uh, stock in this Locatelli situation as well, which doesn't look good for Arsenal because, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but he, obviously he seems very intent on joining Juve over Arsenal, which I can understand because Italian players like German players do tend to kind of prefer staying in and developing in Germany at a younger age before maybe moving on when they're more established uh, as kind of one of the top talents in the country. But... I don't know how I feel about signing a player whose very much intent is to join someone else. Do you think you ever would get the same kind of commitment if you were to sign a player that wasn't necessarily going to be wanting to join you as a priority? Mm, no, I don't. And I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I don't know whether it was actually Arteta that said this or whether this is just kind of one of those reported statements, inverted commas. But um, apparently there's this sort of discussion going around that we're only interested in in, in signing players who are interested in us, you know, who make it clear they want to join Arsenal. And I guess that makes sense because if we can't offer them European football, etc., um, we need something from those players to say we want to join Arsenal because it's Arsenal. You know, we're not in we don't we don't care about European football. I mean obviously it'd be nice to have it back, but we want to join them because they're still, you know, the biggest club in London historically and, and they're still one of the superpowers, quote unquote, in terms of reputation. So I'm with you. I, I think Locatelli is a really, really good player, but I think our own John Welsh hit the nail on the head when he said Italians don't like moving to anywhere but Italy, generally. I mean, yeah, there's the exceptions. Marco Verratti is a good case yeah, in point there. But yeah, but there, there aren't many. And um, and I think if a player, you know, a player who's, who's outwardly saying he wants to join Juventus and his club are saying, oh, yeah, we're talking to Arsenal and... Um, you know, there's a bit on the table and where it's like, yeah, you, you're blatantly trying to get Juve to pay up, aren't you? You know, it's it's that musing us manipulation tactic. I think he's a really good player. I really do. But I think if you're going to move for a player, like you said, I would much rather go for a player who either wants to join us or has sort of come forward and has us as one of the clubs that he's been interested in or, you know, has a position in the team ready made. I, I do. I'd throw the question back at you in terms of what he could offer us. Do you think that midfield area is is vital that we fix? Because I think that's a really key component. Because if you look at our midfield right now, I mean, we're 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 looking at starting the season really. If you played a four-two-three-one, you're looking at Thomas Partey and El Nene, aren't you? I mean, there isn't anybody else who can play in that deep role unless you move the Smith back or someone else, and then mm. you lose their attacking talent. So. Would you rather be spending a fair amount of money on that central midfield area? And is like is Locatelli the one you'd go for? Or is there somebody else you'd be more keen on? 
if Locatelli was keen to come to Arsenal, he would have been my number one pick, I think. Um, like Looking at him as a player and looking through his metrics as well, it's incredibly impressive um, the way he transitions the ball, tackles uh, and breaks up play and recovers possession as well. He's, he's, really, he's progressive for a midfielder, which I like from a deeper position as well. Um, he's not he's not really a goal scoring midfielder, even though he popped up with a brace and so everyone thought he was amazing at the Euros, but that's not really what he's about, to be honest. So he would have been a pick for me. Um, I know that you're not necessarily a big fan of him because I remember you put a tweet out of him, but I, I don't mind the links to Ruben Neves. Personally, I, I quite like Ruben Neves as a player. The difference between him and, say, Granite Xhaka is that whilst Granite Xhaka will, when he's under pressure, win you a free kick, say, in your own half, he's really good at kind of winning those cheap fouls. Ruben Neves' technical ability enables him to kind of break out of those situations and keep the play f- flowing and take players on and move around players. He's not like rapid and quick in tight spaces. He's quite good when he's on the ball and his passing is still good. It's not as good as Granit Xhaka, but it's still good and of a very good standard in the Premier League. His tackling is very good. His defensive capabilities of winning the ball back are very good as well. I don't class him as a goal-scoring midfielder, even though he likes to pop up with the odd thunderbolt every every so often but he's not a goal scoring midfielder like you would say joe willock likes to get into the box and score goals Neves isn't really like that he just if he's on the edge of the box and has a chance to shoot he, he probably will try one um so i like him i like the route of going down kind of this avenue of, of picking up premier league players even though it costs us a little bit more money because I, I do always kind of throw out well it's not really my money and if we have got it to spend i'd like us to change the way we kind of move for recruitment and, and do more Premier League kind of recruitment with Ben White coming in and, and maybe Neves too. But in regards to how many in that midfield, I was talking to Harry Simeon about this the other day. Whilst we look like we're getting Lukonga maybe one more, I still feel like we need another on top mm. of that. I feel like we need two starting quality centre midfielders because as soon as Partey gets injured, you're then on your backups for a, a partner for whoever the, the whoever we're bringing in to replace Granit Xhaka is. And Partey has shown that he's got an injury streak in him, as has a lot of players that we get linked with or whoever we just buy has an injury record within them. So mm-hmm. I feel like we do need to. I don't think Lukonga is ready to start. I think there's a lot of hype around. I really worry that whilst I, there's a lot of difference between him and Saliba, what there isn't a difference in is, is the perception of him amongst yeah. the fan base. And I worry that if, say, he doesn't get a start in, say, the first four or five games, then people are going to go, what the hell are we buying? Why are we spending seven and a half, 17 and a half million euros on this guy and we're not going to play him? I want to see him play, but I mm. want to see him used correctly and easily and I don't want to see him thrown into the fire and, and come out really singed from it, to be honest. So <laughs> I think it's about using him in the right way. He's only 21, but he's got a lot of kind of mature qualities about him. But yeah, Mirfield's got to be where we, we go all in this window for me, for sure. Yeah, he reminds me a little bit, Lukonga, of sort of an Alex Song type of signing, isn't it? Where he's got a fairly good reputation, but is a bit unknown and yeah. and could potentially... My slight worry is this obsession Arsenal have with loaning players at the moment, in and out. I'm, I'm a little bit... That was one of my few tweets where I was actually not fishing. I, I do genuinely wish we just stopped loaning players out. And I get the market is a bit weird and I get that there's this loan with option to buy or, you know, loan with, with uh, what is it they call it, obligation to buy. Yeah. I get that. But um, I just, if you're going to spend 17 million, although that's not huge money in the modern market, I think he needs to be part of the squad at, at the very least. But I'm, I'm with you. I think there's a there's room for another one. 
any thought at all that that other one could be either of Maitland Niles or Willock? I mean, Maitland Niles played in midfield the other day. Apparently, in a position that he informs the world around that he's very good at. <laughs> uh, and I think he's, he yeah. came out to me a few weeks ago and said, I'm open to leaving. It's up to Arsenal now. So, typically, our club isn't a big fan of players going to the media without informing them first. So, I can't think that's gone down brilliantly well especially with Arteta's style of management but is there any hope for either of those two do you feel because well it's been talked about as going out on loan again which I know you're quite keen on the idea of selling him I would quite like to see him have a chance but are either of those even remotely possible with the, the homegrown links uh, yes um it's definitely a possibility mainly because of how kind of slow we're being in the market I think that's that's the biggest reason why there's a possibility of, of some of those guys being possible options for us Maitland-Niles is such a strange kind of enigma of a situation. Um, he really is because you can't you can't really work out whether the whether he wants to actually stay or whether fight for a place. And then he goes out to the media and says what he says. The interview annoyed me in two senses. One because obviously I don't particularly like it when players go out to the media and start slamming the club from the inside out, etc. Uh, another because it annoyed me because of how lacking in kind of knowledge he was about his own situation from the club's perspective. And so that was enlightening to tell me that does Edu and Arteta have this fully covered? Do they, they this plan they talked about in, in kind of post-match press conferences ahead of the end of the season for the, for the transfer window, is that legit? Because stuff like this doesn't fill me with a load of confidence about that. Do I think that Maitland-Niles can be a backup midfield option for Arsenal? I mean, is he better than El Nenny as a centre midfielder? I mean, maybe. Mm, we don't but, really know, do we? But it's, it's really hard to, to really kind of come up with a, a legit conclusion on that. Uh, and El Nenny for me is another one with a year left on his deal. Um, that he's a great squad option. He's happy to be a utility player for us. Clearly, he's happy to just be there. It seems. Um, so I'm fine with him being there. But I don't really want to have to rely on one injury and then it's Mohamed El Nenny. So. Yeah, I, 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 I can foresee Willock or Maitland-Niles being an option, but I wouldn't want them to be an option, to be honest, after one or two injuries. Yeah, I thought Arteta's quote on Willock was very very enlightening when he sort of said, oh, as long as Joe's with us, we'll get the best out of him or something along those lines. And I thought, hmm, OK, so that's your way of saying he's out He's out the door, but um, I won't throw him under the bus in case something goes wrong in pre-season and we get an injury and he has to stick around kind of situation. That thing you mentioned, I do just want to ask you about that as well. The thing you mentioned about communication. Um, so you, you've played Sunday League football and I've managed Sunday League football. Badly. <laughs> yeah, same. I've definitely bad, badly managed on my behalf. But um, when you're playing at even at our level or the lowest level possible at grassroots, when you've got a player who say, say one of your players breaks his leg right, and he's out for six months, or you've got a player who's playing for another team, but he's interested in joining your team. He's one of your mates, your players' mates, whatever. Um, in my experience, it, it, maybe it's just my personality, and I get that Arteta and Edu are probably very busy, and I'm sure they've got a lot to do, and I'm sure they eat, drink, eat, drink, sleep, football, etc. Mm. But you would imagine that under, say, for example, Arsene Wenger's era, those sort of players would be constantly communicated with, kept informed. We've seen it at Chelsea, haven't we, where they've got that lone WhatsApp group where they all keep in touch with how they're getting on and if there's anything they need. Is it a little bit of a, a worry for you that we've done Saliba to death, but that was clearly a situation where there's been little contact, yeah. uh, depending on who you believe with the player while he's been on loan. There wasn't a lot of communication with Joe Willock when he was mm. on loan, even though he was doing very well. And now Maitland-Niles comes out and says it as well. 
is that a little bit of a concern with the manager and, and maybe I do as well in that maybe they're not actually is kind of out the door and out of mind and then suddenly they turn up again and you're like oh well we've got to talk to you I suppose it's mm. it's a little bit weird isn't it when you think at a professional club where they're being paid to do it we would do it at our level for free and yet the club of our, our size we're not really communicating very well with the players it, it, it is worrying 100% and I think that the interview of Maitland-Niles revealed a lot and uh, it'll be interesting to see how things change this season with the whole Amazon kind of situation as well. And if we see anything coming out in regards to communication or frustration from players that, but at the end of the day, Arsenal have got a hold of the editing rights to that. So that's that's always going to be kind of, you know, so we'll be, the wall will be pulled over our eyes, I imagine, throughout that entire series. But the communication from the club to its players does seem a little bit amateurish. And is that surprising when you've got 40 year olds in very executive positions with little experience in those specific roles of those specific duties? It's not surprising. That doesn't make it right that it's not surprising, but it's, it's, it's not surprising to me whatsoever. Um, and again, I go back to that point about the redundancies and there being less people in the club and Edu wanted to go down more of kind of a data driven approach to things, but Data is great, and I use stats a lot, but it's really important to have that human element uh, to a club and for Arsenal to be what was always considered a great place to be, a very kind of uh, a community kind of situation and and lots of less so clicks and more so kind of togetherness throughout the group. And I hope that that's, that's driven by the other coaches, but it is a worrying sign when you hear there being a lack of communication about their players' roles, responsibilities, their expectations, what they are going to have this season, where they're kind of be pushing for and what their target should be for the season. If they don't reach them, what their situation could be at the end of the campaign. And, and yeah, so it's whether or not that has a genuine impact on this season, it would, I think you'd be naive to say it won't have an impact, but we'll have to wait and see as to, to what the ramifications of it will be. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, final thing on Arsenal before we uh, change tactics to sort of general football chat. What's your sort of overall opinion on on the manager? Because I know he he does he does divide opinions. I think it's fair to say. And, and I, weirdly, I think obviously we had the sort of the Wenger out, Wenger in brigade from those eras. And you you think back to sort of George Graham's latter days and Bruce Rioch, It was very much like fans were sort of can we just get rid and and wanted a new era. Arteta seems to divide the fan base in a very different way. And that I think there's people that may be in the camp I'm in where you want him to succeed and you want him to do well, but you have some sort of concerns about how he manages that. And then you've got other people who are just like, no, he's a fraud. He's this, he's that, you know, he's got no experience, get him out. And and I often think like, even though I have some concerns about how he manages and I, I don't really think that's fair that you can just sort of say he's a failed coach and, you know, we want him out because there isn't that many good managers out there for one. And for two, we, we've invested so much in this guy and his style of play and people, I think, forget we're building a squad around his management this summer and have been for 18 months. This is going to be his squad now. He's pretty much going to get rid of all the players he doesn't want to use. So the pressure's on him. Where do you kind of sit in terms of how you feel about about him and about what he can actually deliver us? Because the FA Cup was great, but, mm. you know, it's one, it's one trophy, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really hard question because where my head at the end of last season was pretty much... Any other coach at any other club goes, but I've mm. felt that about Arsenal for the last 10 years um, with Arsene Wenger and maybe less so in Naomi because I think he actually did go 
maybe a little bit late, but still did go when it was basically untenable by that point. But then we were as low as we were under Unai Emery towards Christmas time, just before Christmas time um, yeah. in 2020. So, and, and yet they they kept to Arteta because it had only been less than a year at that point of him being in charge. So, I thought that he should have gone in the context of a normal football club, um, which Arsenal aren't really. Um, but still thought it would have been a, a fine decision for him to say, let the club go, look, we've given you 18 months and we've finished eighth twice. We've made some good signings, but we're not, say, progressing with our style of play and there's still a lot of issues and we've had some issues off the field as well, which I get. I kind of wanted to see a culture change and there's no culture change without its issues, but the handling of some situations has not been the best. Uh, Genduzi is obviously a big one. Saliba is the other big one. Um, and, and some of the, the recruitment side of things, even though there's been good things with, say, Gabriel, Partey, Erdegaard, Matt Ryan, uh, they've been good. But the Willian thing um, and the thing about the Willian thing was worrying because, I mean, I heard things behind the scenes on when it was basically first happening was that Arteta was basically told, if you're going to sign anyone in the forward line, Willian or no one because if you want to bring in a centre midfielder and a centre back that's where the money's going to go and we're not really going to have the capacity to spend on a forward so you've got this guy Willian who's available on a free um, with all kind of the signing on and the wager situation he basically turned around and just said look if it's him or no one then yes it's, it's kind of the whispers that I heard coming out from the club at that time um, but the problem with that was that he then used Willian as kind of the, the starter over Pepe a lot of the time, which really frustrated me and I'm sure frustrated a lot of fans and Pepe specifically mm. because I feel like Pepe is the type of guy who's come into a very difficult league, transitioned really difficult in a really difficult way and hasn't necessarily been given kind of the responsibility to be Arsenal's starting right winger. And if the only way I think you're going to get the best from Pepe is if you give him that responsibility and say, look, you're going to be our right winger for this season. No one's going to take that position from you and you've got to really push and at the end of the season, then we may have to kind of, you know, think things over about your future at the club. And I, you need to give him kind of that responsibility and consistency of games to get the best from him. And I don't think Arteta was able to do that because he put so much kind of stock in trying to get experienced players like Willian to get us out of the tough situation that we found ourselves in. A lot down to those experienced players not showing up in games and, and not learning from those mistakes of, of giving those guys the responsibility. So... That that in itself was almost catapulted Arteta into the complete outside of things and, and almost a failure before it even started. This season, I know he's not going. So it's a really weird situation <laughs> to be in. Like he's not gonna be sacked before the season starts. He's very much gonna be our coach. And so I feel like I've got to, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, turn over a clean slate and see where things go this season. But it will be different to last season for me. Whereas last season I was like, let's give him time. He's done some good business. Let's see what happens after a season, given next season. This time around, it's it's a case of pressure from day one. If we are five games into the season, we've lost, say, four of them, it's not beyond my imagination that you even make a decision at that point, no matter that it's his squad, no matter that he's spent all this money on changing things, because that's not good enough, even with the big games that we've got. And I think it is a case of you can't let it go all the way to Christmas before making a decision on the management, especially when say, an Antonio Conte is still available as a coach. So whilst that there aren't many coaches, he is one of them. And if the club are looking to spend like they are seemingly doing this summer, Conte may be swayed to come and say that, yes, we, we have got some money that maybe would be backing of, of the type of project that you want. But it's, it's such a hard kind of situation to, to look at in July and go, yeah, 
he's going to be gone by this date because I have no idea what's going to happen this season. It's such an unpredictable <laughs> season. It really, really is. Other seasons, you can maybe have a bit of an idea about how we might do and I was optimistic. This season, I'm not optimistic or pessimistic about it. I'm in the complete unknown about what is going to happen. So, mm. which is weirdly exciting and weirdly terrifying, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's Arsenal and we're kind of used to that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether it's age or or whether it's just kind of sheer fed up element of, of football because you know it has been a weird year and obviously watching without yeah. crowds, which is another thing with crowds back in. You know, Arsene will very much know if he's under pressure. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I'm 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 always excited. Uh, talking to Jeff the other day about this, I'm I'm always excited about a new season because you know it's the club we love and the club we support, etc. But uh, it's kind of weird going into a season without really any any expectations. You know, I'm. If we go into the season and we lose home and away to Burnley and home and away to Wolves, I'm not going to be hugely surprised. And equally, not massively cheesed off. Whereas in previous years, that would have ruined my weekend. And so I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old or whether it's just because I haven't sort of felt that success for a while, which, yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, and I think it's fair to say as well, as, as long as Mikel Arteta is in the job, you know, he's always going to be under pressure as long as Tim Sherwood is, is looking for work. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's always creeping in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, just one other actual quick question on the Arsenal um, before we move on. The new kit, what do you think? The I've got the yellow one because um, mm-hmm. I like it. I like the cannon, other than the fact it's the wrong way around. But other than that, <laughs> I really like that. The home one's really divisive. It's divisive so much it's divisive within me as an individual, whether I like it or not. Um, it's It's got a lot of Ajax about it. Um, uh, and I don't know if that's a good thing because I like <laughs> Ajax's kit. Uh, so should I like Arsenal's kit because it's like Ajax's? I don't think I'm going to buy it, not because of the whole Stan Kroenke out situation. Because um, I think if someone wants to go buy a kit, go buy a kit. It's your, it's your life. You're always supporting the club. You do what you want. Um yeah, I don't think I will. I don't think I like it more than last season's. Um, mm. So it's a weird one. I can't really say if I like it or not. I'm just kind of in the middle <laughs> ground about it. What about you? I, I really like it. The only thing I made yeah. an observation yesterday on it, I wish the the sort of stripes with the two blue the and red. If you yeah. had that up the inside of the armpit, I think mm. it looked far better than the, the socks. It just looks like a big. Oh, the socks are fantastic. I mean, that's yeah. 94, 95 all over again. I'm loving that. But uh, yeah, it, I do. I do like it, and I like. I'm one of the few people that doesn't mind a bit of extra white on the shirt. But I'm not a big fan of white socks, so uh, I've kind of got half my wish with the stroke with striped socks. But it might um, be a grower. Yeah, it might be, yeah. and we've still got the the third sort of nineties uh, throwback. Yeah, yeah, so I, I like that. That's yeah, I do. Yeah, I like that. Little bit of classic. There's, there's a couple of bangers this year, in fairness, in European football. Atletico Madrid's new one. Oh, that is mm. that's something else. That Monaco's one, new one is, is quite nice. Uh, yeah, nice kids, yeah, the home and away. There's a couple of classics out there, so it's definitely. Uh, Have you seen the Atletico Minero in Brazil? They're, yeah, they're, the one with the map. map on it. It's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah that's that. great. Yeah, and the new America one as well. That's that's pretty fun. Yeah. Pretty fantastic. Well. Got a new home kit as well, actually, this season. So. Yeah, all the um, all the Red Bull kits are pretty funky this year. Yeah, I must admit, I've seen a few yeah. of those. So. Yeah, I got the last last year's home kit for Salzburg. It was obviously Zoboslav on the back. So, yeah, that, that was naturally. Nice. <laughs> Talking about um, international football, what was your takeaway from the Euros? Because um, obviously, you know, ultimately England did get to the final, and uh, although you had a foot in the Austrian camp, I know that you know you got a heavier foot in, in the English camp. What well, where do you what what do you look back on at, at the at the tournament now? Because the, the whole sort of Saka, Rashford, Sancho thing is 
has almost soured it a bit and, and the, the hooliganism element. And it's funny, I was chatting yeah. to Canadian Jeff about this the other day and I was saying to him, like, did, did it get reported in, in Canada? You know, does it get overseas about how some of the English supporting uh, fans, it's gone a bit back to the 80s, it's gone a bit back to the dark ages and never really moved on from it. And then on the pitch, of course, England do get to a final. It's, it's their, their first final under Southgate, but they also got to a semi-final course in the... Um, uh, in Nations League as well, it's clearly a very exciting team. What's the what's the overall takeaway from you? Are, you? are you looking at that as the main positive, or are you looking at it more as the the disappointment that that you couldn't, as an Englishman, look back and go, "I'm really proud of everything," because there's this sort of sour taste about the abuse and the off the pitch sort of uh, behaviour, shall we say? Yeah, I am. I am sour about it. Um, I. I was ashamed to be British, English. Sorry, after the I do that all the time. It's, it depends if Andy Murray's playing. If I say British, um, but no, Brexit uh, means Brexit. Yeah, yeah. No, I I was ashamed to be re- English after the tournament and seeing a lot of the stuff that went on. A hundred percent. It's it's a really difficult um, situation, and I, I talk about this a lot on the channel because obviously, as a white person, um, I feel like sometimes. Uh, white people don't necessarily talk about racism enough um, and feel maybe it's not their place to talk about racism. And like when I speak to Drew uh, about a lot of the stuff that he has to cope with from racism from lots of different angles um, and lots of different backgrounds. And I think he definitely champions me to, to talk about it more and to speak about it more and not to be afraid to talk about it. I remember I did a show a few months ago when the Daily Mail did an awful piece on Marcus Rashford um, about how, how about him buying his his mama house or something like that, and they, they took it in a really awful direction. And it's just clear, it's like systemic racism that, that's out there. And so, yeah, I was ashamed to be English. Uh, I hate when people kind of use the words like it's a minority or it's of just a few because if we're real, it's not. Like it's a minority in the in the fact of the words, but the, using the word minority makes it seem a lot smaller than it actually is. Um, I feel that actually there's a lot more people that are that way inclined and do say some horrible things and are open to saying kind of those things than that we like to admit. Is probably the best way to put it. And. And I remember when growing up watching football, I always kind of associated in a very uneducated mind back when I was a youngster that racism was very much something when black players were playing in certain parts of Europe uh, and would be targeted by crowds in Russia or in, in other countries in Eastern Europe. But especially, I remember Russia being a big uh, place where uh, certain black players would be targeted. And so when you grow up and you see it happening more in England, I think there's almost a an ignorance I think that people don't really want to admit that it happens as much as it does in England. If people say, oh, it's only a few, oh, why are we blowing up the story of only a few people doing it? Well, actually, let's be real. It doesn't matter how many people, as long as it exists, it's something that needs to be addressed and talked about. And and certainly that that we're not, I don't feel, doing enough. And when you see like the Home Secretary, Home Secretary kind of saying it's, people it's fine for you to go and boo players taking the knee and then to come out and quite rightly for Tyrone Mings to absolutely slam her for for what she said um that that is just it shows you there's little hope when the leaders of the country are, are acting in that certain way that there is the type and you we've just got over kind of the Trump situation in America and we've still got our own kind of Trump situation here I suppose so it's yeah, it's, it's a long-winded conversation, one for a podcast of its own and several, a series of podcasts at that. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it made me ashamed to be English. But I, I didn't really talk about the football, I suppose. So on kind of the football side of things in Southgate, because um, I always go off in that direction first. Southgate, I'm happy with. Uh, I can't believe there are people saying that he still needs to go. Like, a <laughs> semi-final and a final, um, which is amazing. In my in my 26 years, I've been alive. The fact that I've got to witness uh, England get into a, a final of an international major tournament is uh, a genuine privilege. I hate when people say, oh, he's had easy routes. And you might say they're easy routes in comparison to saying facing some of the really big nations. And when it's come to facing those big nations, we've kind of fallen away. But we obviously beat Germany. We got out of a, a group that was interesting. It, Scotland's nil-nil draw, I thought, was like, oh, well, this is going to be another one of those awful England tournaments. But no, we came through that. Czech Republic are a decent side. Croatia not sat in the semi-final, even though obviously they, they haven't got some of the same players they did back then. Still a decent side and gave Spain a run for their money to extra time as well in the last 16. And uh, Denmark are a fantastic side, even without Christian Eriksen. Um, and all, England were very fortunate to get through that game um, with, with some of the decisions that happened during the fixture and some of the cheating, unfortunately, from the England supporters in the ground as well. So I'm happy with him. I think he's doing a great job. I think he's got a great group of players and I'm excited for the 2022 World Cup with, with him in charge. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be weird, that isn't it? That World Cup. I still, still don't think I fully kind of got it through my mind that how it's going to work logistically and the winter. Otherwise, sort of, yeah, yeah and, it, and we sort of mentioned it on on our pod about you know if if you are going to try hooliganism, uh, Qatar is is definitely not the oh, place to do it. Um, no. So I would suggest um, maybe thinking twice before travelling if you are of that type of persuasion. Mm. But uh, yeah, it will be an interesting tournament and. Um, I think I feel like there's a lot of European nations that are in a little bit of transition. I mean, the Belgian golden generation needs a refresh. I think that obviously speaking from experience, like the French team, definitely the, the quality is all still there, but there's still that undercurrent of Franceness in, in egos behind the scenes. The Spanish team need to find a striker by the looks of it. Um, and then you've got sort of your likes of your obvious Brazil and Argentina coming back in and, and with the African teams, you never know what you might get. There's some African teams that turn up and are absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting World Cup, uh, that's for sure, in, in the in the winter. Um, yeah, I just don't know how I feel about all that still. It's very, very strange. There's still part of me that thinks it might not go ahead. I don't know why, but I just... Really? Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what why. Do stop it? Just the, like, the human rights stuff? Or yeah, just... I, I sort, yeah, I kind of feel like that's a possibility. And even something like the heat, I know it sounds like a really strange mm. thing to say, but this kind of artificial clouds and all this and stuff. I, I just wonder how managers are actually going to feel because we're coming back out of this season where we barely had a break of the Euros, we're straight into a tournament. I just wonder how burnt out players are going to be. They already are now, how much they, more they're going to be burnt out at the end of this season heading into another World Cup season. I just wonder mm. if enough managers sort of get on board and say, do you know what, this is ridiculous. I just, I just wonder. Um, I mean, it, it will always, it won't get taken away from Qatar because no. there's too much money in it, but... No, I, just, I mean, if you look at the, the Brazil Copa America situation, like, yeah, all the players, coaches saying this should not be Brazil players and coaches saying yeah. this shouldn't be going ahead. It still does because players yeah. have no power, like, the, yeah, the power is all in the hands of those above. The only time it's ever the only time we've ever seen a change from backlash is the Super League. That, that's really yeah. the only real time that there's been evidence of a, a third party kind of really disrupting how things happen but I, I i still yeah it will go ahead so i'm very sure. yeah 
Yeah, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, the final thing I wanted to touch on was just the Premier League as a whole upcoming for the for the new season. Feels like quite a lot of change going on in, in the Premier League at the moment. A lot of teams are, are making some pretty hefty moves. We've seen, uh, if you'd have told me that Rafael Varane would potentially end up at Manchester United this summer, I would have gone, hmm, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but it looks like it is now. They've obviously brought in Jadon Sancho. Chelsea are looking to bring in Erling Haaland. Um, Manchester City are after this, this bloke called Kane. I've never heard of him. <laughs> bog average, but um, yeah, there's really? quite a lot, quite a lot of change, and, and there's a lot of change. Like managerial, even you look at Benitez coming in at Everton. There's a lot of eyes on him, um, and then you've got Newcastle with a kit with a massive number four on the front. So I mean, there's all change across the uh, across the league. Anything that you're particularly excited about that maybe isn't directly linked to Arsenal? Any teams that you're sort of keen to look at and, and any teams that you actually think might be in a lot of trouble this year that maybe are going under the radar a bit at the moment. Yeah, I'm excited to see Brentford um, and what they're about and Ivan Tony and whether he can make that step up. I've got a lot of reservations about him. Like A lot of people kind of wanted him at Arsenal this summer and I was always a little bit reticent to, to look. Because when I've looked at him, the goals that he scores, I think are very fortuitous at times and in certain situations, he's very fortunate to have, say, 31 goals. I know it seems silly to say that. Like, he's got 31 goals and it's fortuitous. But just looking through kind of his goal reels, I do have a little bit of, of hesitation about him and how he might transition. I hope he proves me wrong because I'd love to see Brentford do well. Leicester are a weird one always. Um, whether yeah. they're new signings, they do smart business all the time. Samara coming in is a great bit of business for them. Uh, Pats and Dacker, of course, I know very well from, from Salzburg and seeing how he gets on is going to be very interesting. Uh, Brighton are doing some very interesting stuff as well with Inok and Wepu coming in from Salzburg. A really good midfielder that I would have liked to ask them, to, to be honest, to have gone for. They're looking at Mark Cucurea as well. He's a very fantastic Spanish player. Really like him, yeah. Great hair as well. Oh, yeah. He's got the Genduzi <laughs> vibes about him for sure. Um, but uh, he can play centre midfield, left mid, left back. Uh, loads of really versatile player. So that's a great bit of business. When I was speaking to Andy Nola yesterday from The Athletic, he says he, he's confident that they, they will get that deal done. So that, that's a, bit, a great bit of business for them. Uh, if they keep Eve Basuma, that, then that's a big boost for them too. We don't know what's going on with him. And then with the big teams... Man United scare the hell out of me because um, mm. of what they're doing, as you've already talked about. Chelsea, I, f- I feel like... I don't think Thomas Tuchel would have been the right appointment for Arsenal. Um, mm. But at Chelsea, I think that's the pretty much a perfect fit uh, mm. with, the, with the German players that are there, like Havertz and, and Timo Werner and Rudiger and how he's got them playing. and what, if, he can get, uh, if he can get Timo Werner to be able to hit a cow's ass with a banjo then maybe that, that would turn into a great signing but if them if they're going for Erling Haaland then then that's an unbelievable bit of business as well and, and they've already got such a, a good squad with some great players and 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 then Spurs I hope that my prediction about them being absolutely awful this season because they've made an absolutely ridiculous appointment as a manager comes true to, to turn away Jose Mourinho for his style of play and then pick Nuno is hilarious. Um, Weird flex. Genuinely. But, you know, they, they always end up annoyingly proving me wrong in some senses. So I hope that doesn't come true. And I hope they lose Kane. If, if Kane goes to Man City and Grealish goes to Man City, I, I don't really see how City can go wrong. At that no. point. It's, it's just an absolute... Other than if Erling Haaland does genuinely go to Chelsea and if, if those players at United do step up. But all, for all of those points... And you look at, say, how good Liverpool can be with Van Dijk coming back in that situation, how good Chelsea squad is, how good City squad could be with Kane and Grealish, how good United could be. And yet there is still an expectation from some supporters that Arsenal should be in the top four next season. 
the meltdown will be unbelievable because if Arsenal are anything, if if those signings that we've talked about happen for those teams, Arsenal to be within, say, six points of them come the end of the season, I think would be an unbelievable achievement based upon the squad that we've got. So, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough season. And the only thing we've got going for us is obviously no European football. And if that does enable us to, to build up some momentum. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very true. Liverpool's the other the other one that I think it's almost like people have forgotten how good they were, isn't it? Because they had such a sort of poor season last year and yeah. Van Dijk. But Konate coming in oh, with Van Dijk, that could be a very, very good partnership. And mm-hmm. yeah, if, if they get the goals flowing in the front three again, they're going to be difficult to stop as well. So, Fern- yeah, yeah. No, he's not good enough anymore. No, I, I think he's good enough at doing what he does, but he's never going to get you the goal output that they no. really need. No, Mane's not really on no. it either. And I like need, Jota, but yeah. Yeah, you need like 15 to 20 goals almost mm-hmm. each from the wingers if you're going to have a striker who doesn't really score yes, goals. And exactly. Yeah, as we would know quite well from last mm-hmm. season. Yeah. yeah, strikers, what are they? Remember those mm-hmm. once upon a time. Um, but yes, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting season ahead. Um, before we do wrap up today, Tom, uh, please do feel free to uh, to take the platform and let us know a bit about what you've got coming up with the channel, what kind of things you've got uh, planned for the future, and, and obviously see your regular content as well where people can find you etc yeah well you can find us uh, and find me i say us always because it's, it's a big community that we built over there um at the guna talk tv on twitter and just typing in the guna talk on to youtube and you'll find it uh we the shows that we do are straight after the games typically throughout the season but throughout the summer we've been doing 8 a.m uk time transfer daily updates uh, which has been great and trying to give doing a show that's not clickbaity is great <laughs> it's just <laughs> genuinely just saying look Here's who we link to. Here's what the BS is, and here's who we might sign. Has been just a kind of, uh, in a way, just an enlightening experience. That's been great. And then uh, we've got some interesting loan coverage coming up. We're doing dedicated kind of loan coverage of Saliba at Marseille. I've sorted out one for Daniel Ballard at Millwall. Now that's going to be a, a dedicated one. And any other links that we see as well, that's going to be great. I'm hoping to do a little bit more on the academy stuff as well, and seeing kind of the kids coming through there and getting some people on board that I know and watch a lot of the youth academy stuff. So that should be good. But yeah, other than that, you can find me there. And of course, my writing stuff's over at One One Great Goals. So yeah. Fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Tom, it's been fantastic to have you back on. And uh, I'm yeah. sure it's not the last time we'll we'll cross paths in terms of platforms, either yours mm. or mine throughout the season. I'm sure we'll we'll have many ups and downs to come in terms of uh, what we what we follow on the pitch and off the pitch yeah. with Arsenal. Uh, and, and just think, I mean, in a month's time, we might all be losing our minds because we're starting the season with El Nene and Partey at centre midfield and our goalkeepers left and we've got no strikers and no fullbacks. I mean, you know, you just never know with this club, do you? But no. whatever happens, we'll be, uh, we'll be across it. Um, really good to chat you, mate. Thank you very much for, for, for being in conversation with ABW. And uh, thank you, of course, to you, the loyal listener, for tuning in as always. As mentioned at the start of the show, we have got a couple more of these coming up. Uh, I will be having a chat with Simon Collins um, in the coming days. We're just trying to nail down a time. I've uh, got another show lined up with Josh as well. And and if we can find jo- uh, John from down the back of the alleyways where he <laughs> resides, we might try and drag him on at some point as well. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty more content to come with this mini series. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks again to Tom for being part of the show. And we will speak to you very soon. Take care. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog. <laughs>